Welcome to Health Raisers. Health Raisers don't just survive, together we thrive. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine. Oh my goodness. Thank you so very much for being here today. I just want to let my audience know how we met because it was lovely. A few Wednesdays ago, there was a floral arrangement class at a lovely little shop in my town of Sawyer called Window Shopping. And I'm going to admit, I, I believe I told you this when we met each other a little bit later, but I hesitated to come. I signed up. I was ready and I thought, okay, do something different. It's just something nice, fun. But then I started to get cold feet right before I left the house because I said, why should I leave the comfort of my house to go meet a bunch of strangers? Like, why, why am I doing this to myself? But something said, just go, you just never know. And boy, am I happy I did. It was so lovely to connect with a group of like-minded, warm, giving, generous, open women. We had the deepest conversation like we had been friends for years. It was magic. It was. It was so magical. It was so magical. And um, I do remember you sharing that you almost didn't come. And I so appreciate that because I too, I have like, uh, I will confess a bit of uh, like an old curmudgeon self sometimes, like a hermit. (laughs) (laughs) That sometimes is like, oh, why did I agree to do things with people in public? (laughs) Get dressed. (laughs) And I love people. And I like sometimes have to go through, I'm like, why do I have to remind myself of this? I'm kind of familiar with it. And you are right. It was, it was so magical. And, um, and I had had the great opportunity of going to a floral design workshop there before. So I already knew that those women and their shop, it's like this little vortex that attracts Mm. other magical creatures. Mm. And so that was really helpful in pulling me out of um, any sort of hermit tendency. <laughs> and and it was it was all that and more. It was I mean, I think in keeping with the the floral and the nature orientation of it, it was very organic, right? And, and it, Yes. We skipped right past any surface conversation and just <laughs> went for the deep end. We did. It was it was and it happened to be in a circle. We happened to yes. just stand in a circle and it was just gorgeous. It was, it was. And I want to like affirm and celebrate you because you have such a welcoming presence. And I also know it was one of your questions to all of us that really, um, it it was such a a warm and also provocative question and like Mm -hmm. a gentle, like genuinely curious way. 
And you could just tell everybody was like, yeah, I'm game for this. This is going to be a different sort of evening. And so it did not surprise me to learn that you also have a podcast. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. She's a storyteller. She's a communicator. She's somebody who can draw out other people's stories. And just ultimately curious. You know, I, I really tried to yeah. make that a practice. Um, mm. And so it was lovely to practice and to be welcomed at the same time mm. because it could have gone south. It, it could have really stayed a superficial conversation and that would have been fine. That would, that would have been absolutely fine, but it was a real gift. I'll never forget it. You know, that that evening I'll, I'll never forget. And so we started talking in that circle and sort of outside of that circle. And I just knew I wanted to know more about you. You're a podcaster as well. You are, and I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, your journey absolutely fascinates me. But part of what attracted me to want to talk to you further was the, f- I just felt so much altruism, generosity from you, this kindness. As a matter of fact, I looked up right before we came for this call, I looked up altruism. I wanted to see what the synonyms were. It's curious. And some of the synonyms that stood out to me, having had our brief conversation and listened to your uh, podcast were kindness, generosity, benevolence, philanthropy, bounty, because I don't always think necessarily that, well, I don't want to steal the thunder. We're going to talk about what you do. As a matter of fact, please do. Let's let's start diving into your who. We very much share this path of supposed to, did the thing, supposed to be happy, attain this profession. You are a JD and you made the difficult decision to pivot. So let's talk about that first. Yes. And I I also have to say you are also very intuitive because that that altruism and then all of those synonyms, I will confess I've never looked up the synonyms for altruism, but some of those words that you mentioned are like such key core values of mine. Um so I just wanted to say that and then yes, I um you know, made a decision years ago that was definitely a fork in the road kind of decision. I had graduated from law school and felt that I had, I mean, I obviously had a real JD and I didn't feel like a real lawyer. And yet I felt um, at that time, I was like, I knew I was an artist. I had a knowing that I was an artist, except Well, there was no exception to the knowing and, but I didn't have any art to show for it. And I felt that um, there were like two paths and I could pursue the path where I could, you know, create success, um, a certain kind of success as a lawyer and, but could see that, you know, by the time I was 40, I could probably be a partner or maybe a judge, you know, and do some good work and do meaningful work and make a contribution and a living and help support my family. And I thought if I wake up though when I'm 40, I think it will look back and always wonder what if. Mm. Whereas if I decide to go with this knowing and um, 
it, you know, I think like throughout law school, I, I sort of had that naive notion going into law school that it would be like this, like an ashram, <laughs> like an institution <laughs> for enlightenment. And then I learned that in this, you know, uh, it's, it's so naive now, but it's so obvious now, um, higher education does not always equal enlightenment. Like they're not the same thing. It doesn't necessarily equal wisdom. And like the cultivation of, you know, one's interior life that spills out into a rich inner landscape. And it can, they're not necessarily, you know, they don't have to um, not coexist, but it was, excuse me, that experience in law school was though kind of like an ashram because it was like an awakening experience. It was like enough pressure that made me decide what do I really want my life to be? And what do I want to invest my life energy in? What do I want to invest my soul in? And I knew for sure I wanted to be in spaces where it was safe, or at least I was willing to take a risk to use such phrases as this is what I want to invest my soul in. This is what I want to invest my life in. And to be in conversations with people where that, that was a, where that's a conversation where people want to have, and it's not looked down upon as, um, she's a little soft. (laughs) That's so unprofessional. (laughs) So that, that, that process had started, you know, because like, way before law school, but the the pressure cooker that law school was um, brought some of those decisions to a head. And so that by the time I graduated, I, I already had had this knowing through a number of experiences that um, I didn't know exactly what it would look like, but I was meant to do something very creative. I, I was meant to be an artist. I felt like it had some sort of healing teaching component as well. Um, maybe psychology component and that I was going to figure it out, figure it out. And I was really committed to figuring it out. So I did work as as an attorney for a while still. And though I had really put a stake in the ground and decided that now I am an artist and that's what I'm going to do. And when I wake up when I'm 40, I don't think I'll be wondering what if I had gone the traditional lawyer route and I'm 43. <laughs> I haven't woken up and wondered that yet. That's spectacular and so commendable because I, unlike you, decided to pursue that journey, even though it didn't quite feel right. But I thought that it was part of the package. I thought it was part of the it was part of the bargain. I, I signed up for this. I signed up for a painful journey to ultimately be happy. So I just really commend the the wherewithal you had, the the ability to make that choice because I didn't think I had a choice. It took me it took me until 40 actually to figure out that oh, I must make a choice now because now I'm in trouble because my body has been telling me that I've been in trouble for years and I've been trying to ignore it. And it just came to a head with my depression. So I I really, again, I admire the fact that you were able to say, you know, I'm looking down this road and I don't want to wake up at that point and go, oh no, what if? Well, and you know, I also believe everyone has is walking the path that, that is theirs to walk because sometimes when people say, oh, that was 
such a brave choice. Sometimes I think yes. And I, it felt like inevitable at that point. Part of me feels like I can't take a whole lot of credit for it <laughs> because it also felt like I, I have to do this because I, I had experienced you know, quite the depression in law school and um, and something, I don't know, I had like a, a sort of a spiritual sp- split where I kind of crossed some sort of line and I, I'm like, I don't think I can go back. I don't think I can actually exist going back. And I will say that it wasn't the the road forward. Um, you know, it took me several years to create evidence for this knowing that I had, and it um, took several years that uh, because I think sometimes the assumption is that you make a decision like that, and then it's like you know, you're in alignment and you're in your flow. No, there's, there's a lot of still like reconditioning and relearning that have to happen. And it was actually, you know, after the day after I graduated law school, even though I was, you know, also still working, knew I was going to work for a while as a lawyer, I set up an art studio, a makeshift art studio in the garage, which was the basement of our, where my husband and I lived in grad school. I cleaned everything out. I had inherited a box of art supplies from my um, paternal grandmother, who was always a champion of mine and had become an art teacher in her second act of life. And I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna, what I'm doing. I'm just going to start. And I um, taped a piece of paper up to the wall and just just mm. started with this box. And I'm like, I'm just going to throw myself into it and it's all going to work out. And two months later, I found myself like so miserable that I felt like I was on the brink again of the depression that had been nearly pretty crushing in law school. And I was like, okay, wait, what's going on here? I'm giving myself all this time and space and I'm committing to this. Why don't, why am I not feeling better? Mm-hmm. And, um, why does this again sort of feel like a, a spiritual and inner crisis that's manifesting in very real physical ways? And, and then I realized, oh, there's this other part. You can have the intention of what you're going to do externally, but then there also has to be this sacred twin intention about what is, what is my commitment to who I am becoming? What is my commitment to my relationship to myself? What is my commitment to my evolution as a human, as um, my spiritual evolution? That has to be first and foremost what this is about. Otherwise, I'm, I realized, oh, law school wasn't making me miserable. I was making myself miserable. And, mm. and I was like, mm. that's, that's what I want to change. Mm. Like, that's, and I felt like I had, there were two sacred intentions. The first one was the dream of being an artist. And I thought that's, I'm going to choose to know that that was something given to me like by my soul saying, here is what is part of yours to do in this lifetime. And it's not just to be able to say, I make art and I sell art. It's not just to be able to execute a vision that I see inside my head. It must also first and foremost be about my evolution as a person and 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 my relationship to myself no matter what because i could see that the same um 
you know, self-violence that had been my MO Mm. in law school. Mm. And I say self-violence, but it was, you know, known as she's, she gets things done. She's a valedictorian. She's the queen of this. She's does all that. It was known as like, oh, I'm an overachiever. Oh, I'm a perfectionist and all those like, you know, kind of coy, not so humble ways. Badges of honor. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. She's such a hard worker. No Mm -hmm. one works as hard as she does. Like all of those sort of badges of honor that really are like, they've got it's just like the pin is stuck directly into your chest it's like really (laughs) self-violence and yeah perfectionism and overthinking overcomplicating overdoing overstriving never feeling like using the mindset of i'm not enough i'm not good enough to constantly keep yourself going and going and going and that had created a certain um amount of like external looking success but it was a very like brittle fragile one because i did not feel strong on the inside did not feel healthy on the inside and i thought no i what i really want from my life is to be at peace from the inside out so did that help you with I was reading your biography on your website and the part that really jumped out at me was the section where you were talking about starting to create your art and stepping away from law and feeling crazy. And like Mm -hmm. people around you were looking at you like, what on earth are you, what are you doing? Right, right. Because that's like a grand pronouncement to make. And then everyone's like, but wait, what? You just invested all of this time and money in an education. And they're like, and you could, you're smart. You could get great jobs. That's a really good point. I love that you said that because there is this belief or myth that there's professional, well-read, educated, and then there's artist, not smart. Right. Or not living up to the full potential, which I have learned since I left medicine and I've opened up my mm-hmm. world and met artists. I've met some of the most intelligent people ever. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, then like the next um, qualifier I would hear from people, yeah, you, it, it's a great use of your intelligence. You could be intelligent and be an artist, but how are you going to pay the bills? you can't really make money as an artist. The elephant in the room. I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about this. Let's talk about it. I let's love do talking it. about it. Yeah, Let's do it. Because part of your messaging is you don't have to be a starving artist. Why do you have to succumb to that narrative? You do talk about the bounty with being yourself, with being your whole self. And I want to talk about the money story. And I have a follow-up question, but please tell me about your money story. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I love talking about money. Money work is sacred work. And I it, it was such a part of my story that... Um, I mean, I also... I. I grew up on a farm. I'm I'm like the daughter of farmers. My husband is the son of farmers. Like we're pragmatic people. And so that conversation is going to come up. Yes, but how are you going to feed yourself? And um, I 
again, had just had this knowing this will be my way. This will be part of the path that I, um, like, I guess I'm going to have to forge. I guess I'm going to have to pioneer. I, I just had a, a knowing that there would be more people who can be affluent artists. The more people, if more people become affluent artists and talk about how to do it. And I thought the same the same source that imbued me with this creativity where I can feel art and then make art. Why is money any different? It's another medium. Why can't money be another medium of expression? And why can't people who are gifted creatively, and by the way, I think we all are. So it's about embracing that and allowing that. If I have the mindset, if I have the belief that creativity is what creates opportunities. Creativity is what creates value. And that value can be given and received. Then I'm not limited by a traditional paradigm, which perpetuates the myth that um, artists starve, are broke, have a have a beggar mindset, uh, just throw me a bone, please, are tortured. Um, experience disproportionate amounts of like mental Ill- suffering from mental illness, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. all of those, like Julie Cameron, sort of the, um, you know, one mm-hmm. of the great dames of, of mm-hmm. creativity and spirituality said, there are a lot of ideas that we have about art and many of them are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> including this idea that like artists have to be broke and starving. Mm-hmm. And I just decided that's not, that's not part of my story. That is not going to be my story. And I will work from the bottom up to rewrite that story. And I also, from the bottom up, but from the inside out, because I really believed then and I know now it's our mindset, it's our beliefs, it's our thoughts that determine our reality and what's possible for us. Like I'm very, I believe creativity is ultimately about um, learning who you are, knowing who you are, and then creating your life accordingly. And I'm, I think I'm also just very stubborn. I don't like being told what I can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I decided I want to make the art that I want to make and I want to sell it. I want to make at least as much as I would make as a partner in a firm. And I wanted to do that in five years and it didn't happen in five years. And it didn't happen in seven years. It took me closer to 10 years. And so that was also like, the, you know, a hard road. So I supplemented in all sorts of ways because my husband is also a pragmatist and he's like, I am not subsidizing, which I'm like, I don't need anyone to subsidize my dream mm-hmm. or my path. And I shared with you too. And I want to, and I'm like, I want to include this as part of the conversation because I think this can be another elephant in the room in the mm-hmm. money conversation. Mm-hmm. And I want to be an example of like that you can navigate the all these conversations in a way that's in integrity for you and is very healing for your relationships because we had to navigate some very difficult conversations and times and coming from different ways of seeing the world. And and or and and still mm-hmm. um honoring one another. And that is messy, tricky work. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
yes to all of that. I hear it. It was it was not a fun transition for me either because at least you kind of knew what you were going to do. I had no idea what I was going to do when I stopped practicing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. And that was horrible. What helped you most in that time? Surrender. Just surrendering to the fact that this is simply not working. This is not who I am. I'm dying because I can't express who I am. And it took the crisis for the people around me who love me to practice loving me a little bit more deeply. I mean, because that's the test, right? Like everyone can say, oh, we've been married for such a long time. It's just wonderful. We're so happy. It's like, okay, that's easy. Those are, those are the easy things where we go to dinner or, you know, we have a, we go to a nice movie together. But love to me, the practice of love is in those tough moments. Amen. Amen. I am so moved by some words, the phrase you just articulated. I was dying to express myself. And that's how I felt in law school. And that, you know, stated another way, I was like dying to be myself. And, um, and any, and I think this is why we're, we are all creative. And for me, like the vision was it came first in paintings, but that really, what that stood for was expressing me, like being me in the world and letting, being able to envision a world, including a marriage in which I could be me in the world, really me and be loved and accepted and fiscally responsible and successful. Like that the world like can make room for that. Like that mm. that is, mm. you know, that that's like the, you think you did the first kind of passing through the fire of a spiritual crisis when you're like, make a commitment that this is not like the surrender. And then you're like, oh God, Becky, now, now things, now things should get better. But then no, the second, <laughs> the second one oh, yeah. is when you realize mm-hmm. the reasons you hadn't made that choice earlier. Because of the fear that Mm. who you are is somehow at odds with the people you love and a life you have come to think of as the one that you should live. Mm. And that's why a lot of people don't do the surrender thing until they like absolutely have to. And that's why the surrender thing is not, it's not passive and it's not weak and it's not for the faint of heart. Um... And also, there's something so benevolent in it. I'm feeling what you're saying so deeply. What came up for me was something I've never really said out loud, I guess, or Mm. really totally acknowledged. But there was this part of me at that point that said, will they still love me if they can really see me and know who I am? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I hear you. I feel that. I've I've felt I've walked through that river, <laughs> swam, or had my head underwater in that river. Yes, yes. Which brings me really well into something I've been dying to talk to you about, which is I think this is part of your crusade in helping <laughs> others, other artists, is how 
does the way you treat yourself benefit everyone else around In ways you cannot even fathom and imagine. I, I mean, crusade is dead on the right word for like how powerfully I feel about this. And um, it's also why I'm, I am very passionate about including money in the conversation because I see so many people who are, and they would use that phrase, dying to be themselves. And they feel that way, even under a cloak of beautiful exterior circumstances. And even while also truly feeling grateful for what they have in life and any kind of privilege, there is also a part of them that just is, is dying to be free. And they know that that part of them that's dying is them. And that matters to me. Like that is not okay. And one of the reasons that I see people try to like then smooth that over, um, cause they'll, they'll have this moment where they let that out and then they'll be like, but that's so selfish. Or I, I don't make any money, so I can't justify that. I, I don't contribute to the family that way, so I can't justify it. I can't justify that time away to myself. I can't justify that investment in my own, whether it's a spirit, spiritual growth or, um, you know, or a creative endeavor. And um, that breaks my heart in, in the right way because it's one of those places where it's like, you know, the things that break your heart also tell you like what you're about your calling in the world. And I think... Oh, oh, can you say more about that? Uh, yeah, I have, you know, I've had the good fortune of like working with um, some amazing, extraordinary people, especially women mentors and having it be both, you know, whether I was coaching them or they're mentoring, coaching me. And I... Two in particular, Dr. Molly Marty and Dr. Tara I. Trent. Um, both this is part of their world philosophy is, you know, it's like that what that breaks your heart is like th- that's that's the world calling to you. That's like the wound of the world calling to you to bring forth your gifts, to be generous, to not hoard <laughs> your gifts, to not hoard your passion, but to like pour that out. Um into the world and it's so to come back around to your question this idea that we have that um what we're doing healing nourishing for ourselves is somehow selfish it's just not the case we are uh we are all connected we are all connected so there is that and i you know on on one more um ephemeral abstract level although i don't think it's actually abstract I talk about like quantum creativity because quantum consciousness, because we know, you know, people and physicists are working towards a theory of a unified field, like to prove that everything is actually all connected, that it's not just a pretty phrase on a poster or Mm -hmm. some kumbaya song, but that Mm -hmm. actually the fabric of all of us at the most fundamental level is we're all connected. Um, And then the way I see this playing out on a micro level because I tend to work with groups of um, artists, mostly women, not always, but mostly women at a time. And the transformation of one, it is a catalyst and accelerates and amplifies the transformation of the group. 
And even so here, and here's a couple of very fun stories. So part of the, not all of the work is about money, but it ends up being a big part of it because it's, it's oftentimes people's main reason, excuse, obstacle. Yeah. Obstacle. And, um, one of my clients, uh, so we, so I really hone in on this because I don't want them to have any limits to what they're able to do. I won't because they are, they've got a vision, and I don't want there to be an obstacle to their ability to fulfill their vision and bring it to life. To be able to know that they're resourceful and they can marshal inner resources and outer resources, including money, including compensate, comp, um, compensation. And so we do a lot of like money mindset work and and healing your your affluence narrative, your like a poverty consciousness to a prosperity consciousness. And it's um and it travels downhill like very quickly because one of my clients who is a playwright, a gifted playwright, writes for TV, um, you know, works on Broadway and for productions like Netflix and Apple. Um, she also is a creativity coach and I got out of a dance class last week and I looked at my phone and I had a text from her and all I could see in the text was, I want a mill. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I I was so sweaty. I couldn't get my phone to open. I'm like, what's the rest of the story? And so I opened my phone and I realized she had cut and pasted, um, a celebration from one of her clients. And this is a woman who has an incredible backstory as a creative woman, an entrepreneur, is trying to pay for herself to go back to school to get a double degree psychology and like better her life. And so she'd been working on money mindset with this client. And she had gifted her some of the same books that we use in my in the art school programs and had been doing the same work. And so this woman said, you know, had sent to my client the message that said, you know, because of all the the work we've been doing, she's like, I've been so committed to changing my story around money. And for many of us, especially women, especially artists, we have intergenerational stories and legacies that we're changing around money. I'm and so that's for sure that. was, yes. yes. It's, it's not yes. just our story. We are changing the story mm-hmm. of our family, of our mm-hmm. lineage. Mm-hmm. And um, that was definitely this woman's case. And she's like, so I decided on my birthday she had just paid for her tuition. She's like, I literally had n- nothing left. And she's like, but I found $10 in a book. And she went out and played the Mega Millions. She won a million dollars. So that was, but so that's kind of a sensational story, but that kind of thing happens. And then I had another client email me and um, say that who is, she's an incredible singer, songwriter, a musician, touring musician, artist. And she also loves this craft of creativity coaching. So a client she'd been mentoring, who is an artist, had sent her a celebration saying she sold like $250,000 worth of art in a single transaction in her gallery. And so both clients were sending it back to me to say, this is, you know, we're paying it forward. We're helping. And this is what people of this kind of spirit and heart do. They don't hoard, they amplify. And they teach others to do the same. And um, 
Mm. Yeah, we very much come from the orientation that it's it's also it's not just our money story that we're dealing with. It's and it's not just going forwards. Like we're not just also doing it for our family or our next of kin or even our neighbor. It goes backwards too. Like we're healing it for our grandmothers, for our great grandparents. And before that, we are changing the entire narrative, the entire paradigm around it. It's so hard to deconstruct all of that though. That's It's so deeply embedded for some of us. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, I'm really, I'm just going to speak for myself. It's hard to deconstruct that money story being tied to worth and being tied to ability or lack thereof, um, deserving of Gosh, I could just keep going. Oh my gosh. And I'm getting so excited hearing you talk because I hear you say it's hard too. And I'm like, oh boy, this would be fun. (laughs) It's because it's mind blowing to know the change that you can create. It's mine. And one of those thoughts that keep money stories that are less than desirable perpetuating is the thought that this is so deep. This is so hard. I I will make a dent, but those are just thoughts too. What if it's not? What if it's not? And what if it is sometimes? And those times it's not a problem, but it's more like, well, that's why you go to the gym because you lift heavy weights to get strong. And and in that way, you start to th- realize, and this is where I talk about everyone being an artist because a true artist, like you use everything that comes to you for you. So if a money story feels heavy and deep, like I am going to use my quest, my crusade to change this to become the spiritual warrior that I am meant to be. Okay, let me ask you this. So I'm a Seth Golden fan. I've done a lot of coaching in um, Akimbo, um, an organization that he founded, and in the Alton BA. And one of the principles that he talks about quite a bit is, and he wrote a book about this called The Dip. <laughs> so knowing that you're on a journey to do the work you're supposed to do. And there are going to be multiple dips where you find yourself questioning, why am I doing this? Or like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I want to stop. And I find that not seeing results and the Bhagavad Gita talks about being just doing the work and you're Mm -hmm. not being tied to the result. Let that go. Just do the work. But at the same time, in a human body on this earth, sometimes it is discouraging to go, I'm not seeing the results, the fruits of my labor. And it's 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 hard to swim through that dip. Because, mm-hmm. and, and I hear you. It's, is it because of the narrative or is it being too tied to a certain outcome. Let's go back to what you talked about earlier. You, you said you had a five-year goal, but then it didn't happen at seven. It didn't happen until 10. So how are you sustaining yourself? So I imagine there were dips in oh, there so for many. you. Yeah. yeah. What was sustaining you? Why didn't you stop? Because I thought I would be having a conversation with someone like you someday who was like, but wait, when it didn't come and it didn't come after five years in one day and it didn't come after five years in two days, didn't come seven, didn't come nine, didn't come nine and 364. What I thought about what I was going to say to someone else 
Mm. So my story I knew was not just for me. At some Mm. level, fundamentally, I knew, yes, it needed to be about me. I couldn't gloss over that. I couldn't spiritually bypass the things that were like difficult for me. I couldn't spiritually bypass the dips there. It's in the, and I reluctantly came to understand, um, you, nobody actually bypasses the dip and you have to, the the dips are part of it. You surrender to it. They're not actually, it's the obstacle is the way that the dips are actually every bit a part of my story about affluence and about how the, and they're, the dips are every bit, they don't negate what I believe deepens my knowing that I know what I know. And I know that this works and that I know that the human spirit triumphs through the dip, is stronger through the dip. And I, and, and I say that like fully knowing I hit the bottom of many of the dips, <laughs> like bounced on my face across the gravel. <laughs> For sure. And had <laughs> felt like I had people sitting on me at times, mm. you know, mm. and, and felt like, you know, and I really also part of it was like carrying, like shedding more and more things along the way that I thought were just fundamental flaws or wrong things with me. Like, um, yeah, I, in, I mean, I, I want to like respect your time and listeners' time, and I also want to respect their dignity by not glossing over how hard a lot mm. of it was mm. and how terrible I <laughs> really took those dips sometimes. And here is the other thing that helped me, including I, I, I knew, I decided I was figuring it out, not only for myself, but to really be able to teach it and not just give lip service to it and be like, here, sure, you go do it. You Mm -hmm. go do it with all its dips. It wasn't that hard for me. No. (laughs) Um, I like organically, I internalized all of this and and that's why I know other people can do it too. And um, the other thing that helped me time and time again, uh, I would be sitting on there on the bottom, the sewer bottom of one of those dips. And I'd be like, but are you going to quit? Are you really not going to do this? And I was like, oh, right, right. So all this self-loathing that you do when you're down here in the sewer, all of this beating up on yourself or feeling bad because you don't believe in yourself enough, you're not creating it yet, no one likes it yet or no one's getting it. You're not seeing any, like all of these ways you are just, man, being so hard on yourself, but you know, you're not going to quit. Are you, are you going to quit? Can you quit? And I was like, no, no, actually there's no way I'm not doing this. There's no way I'm not doing this. So why don't I lighten the load a little bit? If there's no way I'm not doing this, and I know doing this is going to mean dips. Do I Do I at least have to add to the sewer pile when I'm down here on myself? Mm. No, no. And it's like the great spiritual teachers say, you know, the human conditioning, we're not trying to solve for the human conditioning. We're not trying to escape pain. That's part of the human condition, mortality. But suffering is a choice. and. I can work towards reducing places where I am creating, fabricating suffering for myself. 
needless suffering. Wow. Thank you for the much needed reminder. Who's in charge? Choice. Agency. Mm -hmm. We are not our thoughts. No. We are not our emotions. They're information. They're really neither good nor bad. I'm really trying to think about that with more intention lately. It's taking the judgment out of, Mm -hmm. I feel this way or I'm having this thought. Well, they're fleeting. Maybe they're Mm -hmm. saying something. Maybe they're an indication of something. Maybe they're not. Mm -hmm. But I am free to make the decision and act accordingly. It's it's such good work and it's ongoing work. It's heavy lifting. Like I, I have, I have practices around like thought inquiry practices that I still do. I mean, they, they're necessary to me. It's part, to me, it's part of like an active meditation. Like it's like, it's mm-hmm. a way of, it's a mm-hmm. way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, because with a human existence and a human brain doing what it does, it accumulates things and it tends to accumulate things that we because of the negative bias of our brains and has its evolutionary purposes. But that negative bias can start to like accrue so much negativity that we begin to believe is who we are, that we begin to identify with. So I, you know, even returning to fundamentals for me, like I will do what I would call like a thought dump where I'll write out thoughts in my head and like and remind myself of those fundamentals. I am not my thoughts. These are thoughts. Clearly, I'm currently feeling pretty terrible and crummy. So I must be believing these thoughts. I must really be believing these thoughts. I'm under the spell of these thoughts right now. And I am not believing what I know to be true, which is I am not my thoughts. So I but I'll put them on paper to create a distance. And for me, then I can go for a walk until I come into... And it took me years to of like meditation and this kind of work to have this experience where it was like the clouds parted and I'm like, oh my God, that's the best thing you could ever hear as a human. You are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I had this, why didn't anyone ever tell me this before? But I'm like, oh wait, you know, I've been studying these things for years, but it's, you can get it intellectually, but until you feel free, until you feel like you can look at the hardest truth and like laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, this from the bottom of your being that like is that like the um the quote from the buddha the same way you can know water is of the ocean because it tastes of salt is the same way you can know truth because it tastes of freedom okay i think this is you you've dropped the mic i i love it um i am going to segue into my last question with this you've simply inspired me in more ways that you than you can know with our mm-hmm. conversation today. You've given me some fuel and some much needed reminders about my mission, my passion, which is to be a health coach and mm-hmm. to shepherd women through limiting themselves with what they believe health is. We're told in the society that it's simply about how much you eat, how much you exercise. And maybe we're starting to do a little bit of mind, body, spirit. Oh, I have a yoga practice too. Okay, great. But it's so much more than that. And I really connected with your narrative um, where you talked about having the experience so that you can then share that experience. It's not that you are separate or higher or better than anyone else. It's, no, I've been through some stuff. 
so I can, I know what you're going through and I can walk you through that, your dip um, Mm -hmm. to get you, to get you through, to get you to show up as you want to show up in the world, to do the work that you're meant to do. And I feel that way. I'm very passionate about expanding Mm -hmm. that idea that Mm -hmm. it's about your relationships. It's also about your the work that you do, the purpose, um, the way you treat yourself. A, a lot of times I've had a couple of clients who've come to me because, oh, I'm not eating well or I'm not sleeping well. And then we go on this journey together where I listen and I and we uncover root cause. Mm-hmm. These are symptoms. There's something else that needs to be addressed. It's And so... Like with one person I had, we uh, we walked through a diagnosis of ADHD. He didn't know he had ADHD. Mm-hmm. So all these other things that were, help me fix this. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, that's not really a thing that needs to be fixed. We need to dive deeper and find out what's really going on. So that is my crusade, my personal crusade. Mm-hmm. And so I ask you this question I ask everyone at the end of our discussion. What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Mm. Well, I'm so glad I get to answer that question after listening to you describe your crusade, because it also makes so much sense why we met and like what this connection is. Because for me, the definition of health that resonates most deeply that taste of truth is like from the Latin root, which the the root for health, healing is holiness, wholeness, being like whole as if not, not fragmented, but an integrated whole, healthy, holy human being. And knowing oneself in that deeply reverent, sacred way, having a relationship healing one's relationship with oneself to restore a sense of reverence towards the magnificent being that you are, that that to me is health, wholeness, what gives healing. And so your wise woman approach of, oh, we're not gonna fix the symptoms that are, but we're not gonna band-aid. We are going to understand the human and I am going to be with another human with compassion and full presence. And because I think it is that being with one another in ways where we we really know what it is to be present for one another is innately healing. And that why that's why this work is to me and the, the work you're doing, the work I'm doing, whether we're talking about money or we're talking about physical health is um, we are doing it together. And Ram Dass said, I, I love this and live by this with my work is we are all walking one another home. And and so to me, that's like what that health, that healing journey, all together, we are all healing. We're all whole making, becoming whole again and returning to true embodied knowing of our essence of our holiness and dignity. Leah, thank you so much. I am definitely going to, in the show notes, add how Uh, my listeners can find you and your gorgeous offerings of um, mastermind groups and classes and becoming the artists that they're meant to be or maybe uh, and and it's never too late 
It's never too no. late. I love that. I love no. that in your in your offerings. You, you're very welcoming, and um, we get this one life. So I am with you on that. Don't squander it. Don't wait. Yes. Yeah. And you're right where you're meant to be. You're right where you're meant to be. I'm, I'm meeting so many more and more people and a lot of doctors, by the way, who are like, it's it's like the first part of their life was research. And now they're like, game on, game time. I'm mm. ready. Thank you for another gift. I've never thought about it like that. And yes, it was. It was research. I'm here because I serve. I am yeah. a steward of my community. I, that's what I really want to be. That's who I, part of who I deeply am. And that path was not for me, ultimately. It was one way of doing what I'm mm-hmm. saying I want to do. And I've had to discover that there are other ways and that I can be in charge of figuring out what those ways are. Yeah, you're a pioneer. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Leah. I can't Thank wait you. to have coffee next week. I know. practicing yoga with us from the comfort of her own home? We foster a peaceful, happy, and safe space in our online yoga classes. Community and relationships matter, so there are no more than 10 women per class. And because we want it to be a good fit, the first month is free for new students. So what are you waiting for? join today. Book at npkhealthintegration.com. Hope to see you soon.